Church is a community and movement, a fellowship of discovery. We desire to love well and serve often, while together we explore the adventurous love story of Jesus. something that Susie just said a minute ago. I, um, it's been a 2021-2020 have been years of, okay, I must be hitting it on something. Um, have years, these years have just been weird. Okay, difficult, struggling, hard, and yet um, you've been faithful. And this year in giving was amazing. And I just want to say thank you. We ask you to give all the time. We each week just remind you to give, and you gave. And, uh, and we are very grateful. And, but beyond that, it speaks to the community that we're in. It speaks to um, this is valuable to us, and so we give to it. And I, I just personally want to say thank you. And I'm the person, she said, if you have questions about the finances of Journey to reach out to me, um, please do. Uh, glad to share with you. Uh, to some degree, the details, um, but feel free. What a beautiful morning. It's not snowing. <laughs> it's just raining. I hope that you enjoyed the snow for a day. I did not, but I hope you did. I grew up in a place where it snowed all the time. I had enough and no need anymore. And so with that comes, when I see it snowing, I I kind of get into this oh, mood. And now today, though, I'm in a really good mood because I love living here because it all goes away in a day. <laughs> right? Those of you who are like, no, it should stay. You're living in the wrong place. <laughs> and it's fun to go out and drive in the snow and see how people from Tennessee drive in the snow. <laughs> it, they, no, they do, and they shouldn't. They, the amount of people in the ditch was worth just the drive that that day. I was telling, I was telling, um, I was telling Randy earlier. I don't know how this was possible, but I was driving down the road and I, there was a car in the ditch, and it was a deep ditch, like really deep. But it managed to get to the place where it was all the way. It was straddling the ditch, and all four tires were hanging in the air. How do you do that? But I wanted to applaud his effort or her effort in trying to drive. And it was a four-wheel drive vehicle. It was fantastic. Anyway, okay, I digress. It was just part of the joy of living in a place where people do not know how to drive when it snows. And uh, I apologize to anybody in the room and anybody online who was in the ditch. Um, but just know that you warmed my heart um, by doing so. So anyway, from there to a transition of this, is that we're going to just do a quick two-part series. Uh, I'm today, Susie is next week, and we're going to talk about this idea of, we're calling it if-then. If this is true, then this should be true. Or if this is what we're about, then this is how it, it should play itself out. It's called if-then. And, and if you've um, if you think about it, that's a real easy term, it's easy to remember, and I just want to invite you into this idea, this series, this is uh, a precursor, we're going to head into the Sermon on the Mount starting uh, in three weeks, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, um, and the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation into a different way to live, and, and, and I'm kind of setting it up, and Susie's going to set it up, 
um, as we enter into uh, a season, we're going we're gonna to be in that through Easter. So Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. If you've never read Matthew 5 through 7, you probably should read it. Um, and then you'll read it and go, oh, that's what this is. The Sermon on the Mount is, is, one of, is Jesus' longest teaching segment in Scripture. So, so this morning, the conversation is about one of the cultural phenomenas of, of being, um, I would say, American, living in this culture, and being a part of a, a culture that kind of understands what it means to be Christian. And I'm going to use that word for just a second. The word Christian has been co-opted to mean many things. And when I say many things, it means everything from I'm born again to I'm evangelical to I'm Catholic to you fill in the blank. And there's a lot of it in our culture. People have an idea. You have an idea when I say the word Christian as to what that means. And usually for us, it means a churchgoer, somebody who prays, somebody who acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God. There's a list of things that we would say, yeah, that makes somebody Christian. And in many ways, it's, it revolves around this idea of church. Christian and church go together culturally. And so and we happen to live in the Bible Belt. We happen to live in a place where you can't really drive your car in the snow and not run into a church somewhere in the close vicinity of where you live and in this area. There are churches everywhere. And I didn't grow up in a place where there were churches everywhere. I grew up in a place where churches were, there were three, four in town, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Little Baptist Church, and then the, the Assembly of God Church that everybody didn't know what to do with because back in the 70s, that was a relatively new thing, especially where I grew up. And so, but we would say, all of us would say we were Christians. And so with that, this morning, I wanna, if that is true, if, if that word is true, then what is it that our culture has adopted as the behavior of a Christian, right? What is it that goes with that? And I wanna just kinda push back this morning on the word Christian, and I wanna push back on this idea of that word being co-opted. And I want to move you into a different word. I want to move you into a place where we talk about the difference between what it means to be a cultural Christian and a follower of Jesus. And in our culture, I chose the word follower largely due to its biblical. And secondly, because it's a cultural word now that has become much more prominent as social media has presented itself as being a driving force in our culture. And did you know that follower is one of the terms that they use for those of us who are actually on social media? I know you know the answer to that. But then there is a whole group of people that call themselves influencers. You aware of influencers? So influencers and followers, right? And so with that comes this idea of somewhere along the line, we as followers are being influenced. And our culture is constructed this way to go about the way to influence us to do certain things. And lo and behold, who would have figured that social media would have been co-opted somewhere along the way to make money? Who would have thought that? There are all kinds of ads on there. There's all kinds of things. And now they're paying influencers to influence their followers through means to which they can advertise their product to you. And the beauty of it is now, oh, my, yeah, my phone's over there, it won't hear me. Our phones actually hear us. And they, yeah! <laughs> and they prompt ads on your phone through your social media. Did you know that? 
You did. Does that bother anybody? It's kind of creepy. When it first happened to me, I was like, I was just talking to my wife about buying some furniture. And I literally sat down and I, I went on, um, I think it was Twitter, and an ad came up for furniture. You know? So that's, that's kind of what's happening culturally. And so with that comes this idea that somehow we need to navigate as followers of Christ what it means to be influenced more by him than it is by the culture. And that may sound obvious and it may sound um, somewhat um, offensive maybe even to some of you. But here's the thing. All of us to the person in this room is being influenced more by the culture than we are by Jesus. We just don't know it. We're blind to it. Um, there's a difference in our culture between being an observer and being a fan. Now go with me on this for just a second. Um, I admit this, it's, it's part of just my fiber. It's part of a problem in my life. I have this problem in my life that I can't shake. And um, it's, I'm a Minnesota Viking fan. I know, I, I appreciate that. And, and if, if you've followed this sorry franchise your whole life, you, you know the agony in which it is to be a Viking fan. But being a Viking fan has a lot to do with an identity um, we wear their jerseys when we go to their games. Why? I don't know. Um, we spend money. We order our time around it. We, we try to figure out how to make them better when we have no control over making them better. <laughs> we yell at the TV. It invokes an emotional response. All of the things that implies that I've somehow given my heart to something. All of those things are indications. I use my resources, I use my time, all of those things over football. Right? Anybody else into sports teams at all? Yeah, okay. So you kind of give your heart to it. You kind of, because that's, part of that is what makes it fun, also painful. And not only do we do that, but we, we unfortunately evangelize our children to, to worship the same team. Be fans of the Vikings, I said to my son. Now I regret inviting him into the misery. But that's, that's part of what it means. It's part of an American way of going about life. Um, but fans don't really get to change the game. I don't get to suit up. I don't get to go out there and play. I just get to watch. I just get to observe. Um, back in the 70s, uh, those of you who are about my age are going to know this. Some of the people in the, in the green room, kitchen, also known as kitchen, didn't know this, is that there's this movie out there, it's still out there, called the... Um, <laughs> i got to make sure I say it right because I say it wrong sometimes. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Anybody? Yep. All right. Rocky Horror Picture Show. 1979 couple of buddies of mine. They showed it at midnight at this old theater in the town that we were in. And uh, we, we decided we were going to go see what this was. It was midnight. It was a midnight showing, and they showed it just about every night at this theater. And we were like, what is going on? And so we go to the Rocker, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, been there. 
expecting to sit down in a theater and watch a movie, because that's what you do at a movie theater. You sit down, eat popcorn, have a soda, watch a movie. Well, the movie starts, and we, we noticed that some of the people were dressed strangely in the room, we were talking about it, but we didn't really give it much thought, and we were, we were more just into the fact that we were out at midnight, and we were 16 years old, and we were out at a movie. And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a song starts, and this person jumps up, dressed like, just like the person on the screen, starts singing the songs. And this happens like they're participating in the movie. Anybody experience this? I know Randy has. Anybody else? Crazy, right? But if you're not expecting it, it's really crazy. And we were laughing. We were, we, I to this day can't tell you what the movie's about because we were more entertained about what was going on in the room. They weren't just fans. They weren't just observers. They were participants. They joined the movie, which was crazy. Running up and down the aisles, dressed up exactly like the people. Now, I've been told that this happens periodically at other movies, including Star Wars movies and different things. I've never personally seen it, but I understand it happens. And so there, it moves beyond this idea that I'm gonna sit and watch and I'm gonna join. So you got that picture, right? And so we, we move to this idea of, of, okay, so what does it mean then as, as people of Jesus, as Christians, as followers, to become more like people who go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show than people who go to football games. We are conditioned to be fans, not participants. We are conditioned to applaud good things and groan when things go bad. We are conditioned to watch we're a culture of spectators. We love the idea of social media because we can follow. And yet we're invited into this different kind of relationship with Jesus. And I want to take you to a place in, uh, first in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading out of what is the book called The Message. The Message is a rewrite, a modern version of the Bible, but it's a really nice translation because it gives us in a... Uh, I think, a real clear picture of what Paul's trying to communicate. And so in the message, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you have been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live him. I'm going to just don't change the slide. I just want to make sure you see what he, he says here. He says, now, he doesn't say live in him. He says, live him. It's, it's personal. It becomes who we are. It's part of our identity. As we follow Christ, we, we become adopted into the family. Who we are changes. We can change our allegiances to those things that we are fans of. But in this case, we are moved by uh, the fact that Christ owns us. He bought us. There's a, a personal relationship. There's something different at play here. And then he says, you're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. <laughs> School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over 
into thanksgiving. Paul is prodding, he's inviting, he's pushing the followers of Jesus to stop conversing, watching, and applauding and put into action what they already know is true. doesn't mean that we don't stop reading about Jesus, engaging with Jesus. Part of following Jesus is staying in step. Part of following Jesus is being with Jesus and knowing Jesus and discovering more and more about him all the time. But we know a lot because we're immersed in a culture that is about Jesus. He says, put it into action. Do something with it. And so I want to propose this idea that following Jesus is a life of change. But oftentimes we find ourselves in that place where change doesn't seem like a good option. Or we like where we are. We like what we've become. We want to stay where we are. But yet, he continues to invite us into this path of, come on, keep walking. Keep coming with me. Keep following And so Paul goes on here in this passage, and he says, uh, starting in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. Seize things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. I love the statement in here is that he says, see things from his perspective, to follow Christ, to be a follower is, to, is not just to keep your eyes on him, but to see what's around him and see what he's about and see where he's going, see what, where he's leading. So what does it mean to see things from his perspective? Is that we, we take our eyes off of what has distracted us culturally and we focus on what he is seeing. And so what do we see when we read? We read, we see people like he sees people. In other words, he sees the value of all the humans. He sees the value of everyone. And it's demonstrated in his willingness to die for them. We live as though Jesus is the main character in our story. Not his story, but our story. And we start to live as though somehow, some way, we are, we are a char- not a character in a narrative, but also a part of that story in such a way that it's playing out as we follow Christ. We speak with seasoned words, with compassion and patience and empathy. This is one of the things we have to learn is we have a story, but so does everybody else. Everybody has something that has happened to them. I've learned this over and over and over again, is that as I sit with people and I talk with them and they're going through a difficult time or something's not right in their life, there's a reason why they are where they are. It's easy to sit in judgment of somebody who is stuck in a place that we would never be stuck in. But it is more compassionate to follow Jesus into that conversation and find out the story behind it because usually there's a good story. The, the amazing part of reading the Gospels and seeing the life of Jesus, he always gravitated to the marginalized. 
There's awareness that comes with following Jesus. We become more aware of the things around him. And we begin to say, I want to align with that. I want to move in that direction. Do we get it right all the time? No. There's a lot of the times we're still looking at the ground and the things around us and the shiny things that we can see. And distract us from it. So picking up in verses five and six, he says, Paul says, and that means, following Jesus means killing off everything connected with that way of death. And he lists some things, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. (laughs) That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. Um, Our emotions are a big part of the equation. And I've been attending a group called Plumline over the last few months. And... uh, I don't know, you call it discipleship, you call it therapy, you call a number of things. But I have personally been working on my emotions. Um, I have, for the most of my adult life, suppressed my emotions. It's how I learned to survive. And um, being a part of this group, I've learned some valuable ways in which I can feel deeply and not be ashamed of those feelings, which for me is new. Um, because of just a myriad of reasons that I don't have time to get into. But um, the illustration for me was I've always saw emotions as something to be suppressed or my feelings to be suppressed. And so this is the illustration. The illustration is, is that if you, if you consider yourself um, driving a car, you're sitting in a car, this isn't going to be road rage, none of that this time. Um, So you're sitting in a car, and your emotions come with you. And as your emotions are in the car with you, you can either let them drive the car, take over and drive the car. You can duct tape them in the trunk and suppress them, which would be my preference. You just put them in the trunk, close the trunk, um, leave them in there. Or there's a myriad of other ways to deal with your emotions. And and what I had to learn was, first of all, that emotions are, are part of what make the human condition what it is. They're God-given, they're part of our design, they are to be part of who we are. God has emotions, God feels deeply, it's part of the imprint of God upon us. And so they need to be raised in value. For me, they had to be taken out of the trunk, let free, and also raised to a certain level. Now, they also should never drive the car. They serve a purpose, but they should never be the one sitting in the car seat, sitting in the seat, driving the car, because where you end up with your emotions driving the car sometimes is a really scary place, like the ditch. And so somewhere in there is this idea that emotions serve a purpose. They serve a purpose that we need to be aware of, and I think this is part of following Jesus, so stick with me for just a second. It is to honor our emotions as if they were somebody that we always bring along with us. They are to be listened to. They are to be engaged with. They are to be valued and cherished. So think of them. This is easier for me now because I have grandkids. You put your grandkid in a car seat, you put them in the back seat, and you make them safe. You buckle them in. You make sure you give them a, a, a sippy cup full of water or juice. You give them a snack, and you know what? They sit in the car, and they sing with you, and they are happy. It's when you forget to feed them that it becomes a problem. But 
that little person in the back seat says, hey, Papa, I'm hungry. I've got a choice to make. I can turn around and say to that three-year-old child, who cares? Be quiet. I'm going to put you in the trunk. There's, I won't. I won't. I won't. But, you, but I cherish the child that is my emotions. I put them in the back seat, and they are to be heard. But I would never let my three-year-old granddaughter drive my car. And I would never put my three-year-old grandchild in my trunk. And I honor them and I love them and I cherish them and they bring so much life and they bring so much to life. Emotions do the exact same thing, but they should be cherished sitting in the back seat and listened to and valued and all of those things. And, and yet what we find is that a life shaped just by feelings is a life not following Christ. Or a life just shaped by things is not a life following Christ. But those emotions are of incredible value. They begin to tell us how we're doing in this walk with Christ. They begin to tell us when things are out of line. Emotions serve the purpose to speak to the soul. They serve the purpose to be able to say, hey, you're getting out of, out of whack. Something's not right. And the emotion, whether it's aloneness or, or it's sadness or it's anger, whatever it might be, whatever is on that list that you go, oh, I'm feeling this really deeply. It's not the emotion that is a problem. It is why we have the emotion and we can ask questions of it and we can align ourselves. Emotions are a key to following Christ. Paul goes on to describe how following Jesus changes our relationships. He says this, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. Now listen, he describes it in this illustration, I think, so well. He says, you're done with that old life. So he starts talking about our old life before we came to Christ. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. This is... It's such a beautiful picture of what it means to follow Christ. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious or irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, safe, slave and free mean nothing anymore. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. It's a shift. If if we're following Christ, the old goes, the new comes. And he's describing it as a wardrobe. And he's talking about the difference between the words that we use and who's included and who's not included. And that whole idea is a shift of thinking because we often think in terms of outsiders, insiders, even when we don't think about it. That's the, that's the struggle of being a fan of a football team. I despise the Green Bay Packers. Despise them. I don't mind Chicago as much. I lived there for a little while. But in, in Minnesota terms, Green Bay is a team that is to be hated. 
Some of you may know this. If you don't, it's okay. They had a great quarterback by the name of Brett Favre in Green Bay. Anybody know who he is? Hated him. Despised him. Beat us all the time. You know what? He eventually became a Viking. It was really hard. It was really hard to change my feelings about Brett Favre until he threw an interception in the NFC Championship game. Then my despise came out even full force for the Vikings. So you find yourself in this place where something in us has to change. We, we live in a culture that wants a villain. We live in a culture that wants enemies. We live in a culture that we want to find somebody that's less than us. We live in this comparison culture, and Jesus is saying it's not about that anymore. Verses 12 through 14. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. (laughs) Never be without it. That is such a wonderful way of saying it. And then in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using, common, using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. So it's a new year, right? It's a new moment in time. Life has changed a lot over the last couple of years. There's no denying it. And, and I think rather than longing for it to go back to normal, which is our normal, we want, if it would just get normal again. See, we want normal so we can go into passivity. We want normal so life will be easier. We want normal so we can predict what's about to happen. If one thing this pandemic has taught us is that it's not predictable and life is full of this kind of crap, Oops. That was better than the other word that was on my mind. We live in a world that's so mucky. It's so unclear. There are people dying for us to follow them down paths that lead us not to the place where we want to go. It's just a distraction. It's to keep our eyes off of the one we're supposed to follow. The distractions are so many. And the invitations are so rampant because we carry around with us things that are constantly interrupting the possibility of seeing what actually Christ is up to. Three years of this. And we still want normal. What if this is normal? 
if this is as good as it gets. What if we have to live this way? The invitation is still the same. You're merely looking at the circumstances of the culture and the world around you and taking your eyes off the one who has beat all of it. Back to that Colossians 2 passage. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action really is. See things from his perspective. It is hard to follow Jesus when we're not walking with our eyes on him. We see early in Jesus' ministry is this idea is that he talked to his disciples when he first invited them into relationship. He said, come follow me. Come and see. It was an invitation. It was an invitation to see something bigger than what they were doing. It was something, an invitation into being up close to Jesus. It was an invitation into changing their lives. It meant so much. It was a simple invitation. The invitation still stands to us. He says, come and see. He says, come be with me. Come follow me, and you will see things that you cannot imagine that are so different from what your world offers you. The world wants to wow you with a solution to problems when Christ is the solution to all of it. And you may be thinking, oh, come on, Kevin, that's naive. I'm not thinking that it solves the immediate problem of all the pain and suffering, but it does solve this. It does solve the purpose of life, it solves the identity of life. He solves the idea that life can be navigated with great joy and with great purpose in the midst of all the muck in which we live. Because our eyes are no longer on our feet. They're on the one we follow. And it changes us. You will be changed. And here's the truth. It will cost you something. It costs something to follow Christ. It costs those guys to lay down their nets and follow that guy. It, it costs them their jobs. It costs them a ton to leave behind those things in which they had become accustomed to, which was normal life, which was their rhythm, which was normal. And he says, come follow me. And did they change immediately? is screwed up all the time, which is the beauty of the story. The beauty of the story is, is that we get to see all of it. We get to see the beauty of the mistakes. We get to see the, the love and grace of God in the midst of all that went wrong. In the moments when, when they got it wrong, he still loved them. He didn't abandon them. He didn't banish them. For crying out loud, he walked for three years and they still didn't get it on the night that he was betrayed, crucified. They didn't get it. And yet he loved them. And he changed them. And they followed him. The beauty that, of this story is, is that when Jesus 
rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. So we get this, we get more help than these guys got. Spirit lives in us. But he tells them in Luke chapter nine, there's this little passage of scripture where it talks about following. And it sounds harsh, I'm gonna read it. And it's verses 57 through 62. It says, as they were walking along the road, they were hanging out, they were following Jesus. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Bold statement. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Before I go on from that verse, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you can follow me, but I got no place to live, I'm homeless. There's a cost. Then he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And you may be sitting there going, that doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't sound very accepting. It doesn't sound like Jesus. And here's the extreme statement that he's making. And he's trying to drill it in over and over again to the people that follow him. And it's simply this, is that I am the priority. I am your God. I am the one that gets priority over everything else. If you follow me, you actually will love your family better. If you follow me, you will love in such a way that will, will change the way that you see the people, experience people, and love people. Too many times we're trying to have relationships with people because we're trying to extract things from them rather than just be with them. Love them. If you follow me, he's saying, I'm the priority. That's the cost. When Jesus becomes the priority, everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes secondary. But not secondary in the way that you think less than Because if you read and you see and you begin to experience who Jesus is, he was the suffering servant. He served people. He's not saying ignore them, be mean to them, be impatient with them, have no compassion, ignore your responsibilities. Because if he was actually saying that, no one would follow him. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the most important thing in your life. And to follow Jesus means that we will be shaped by his heart. That we will become more like him. It's a lifelong journey. And as we pick and you look and you read and you begin to recognize is that God in flesh loves sinners. He loved the marginalized. He, He loved those people that no one would even touch. He went out of his way to heal the most sick. He touched Lepers, he did what no one else would do because he was drawn to people of the greatest need. And somewhere in here is the opportunity, I've got way too much content, 
as you read the life of Christ, even in the culmination of the night that he was arrested, the night that he was arrested, Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the man who's trying to arrest Jesus. Don't think for a minute that that was okay with Jesus for the violence to incur to protect him. He ain't anybody to protect him. He didn't need anybody drawing a sword. This wasn't about violence. It wasn't about a battle, at least between men. It was a battle between the principalities of light and dark. And he willingly gave himself up. No one took his life, he gave it. And as we follow and we watch and we pay attention and our heart is captivated and we see what Jesus is about, we begin to recognize when we see Jesus at work, we begin to see patience and kindness and self-control and we begin to see a heart that is given over to serve people. We begin to see suffering as a means to an end rather than something to avoid. There is this whole different look. And for us, we've been so so conditioned by our following of whoever it is we're following is that suffering is always bad, not true. We've been conditioned that wealthy is better than poor, not true. That somehow some people are better than other people. And we, we have these different ways of making those comparisons. And the more that I follow Jesus and the longer I follow Jesus and the more I get up close with Jesus and the more that the Spirit of God changes me and convicts me, the more I realize how judgmental I really am and how I need to realign with Jesus. When Jesus looked around and saw the crowds, he had compassion. So we need to unpack for ourselves what it means to follow Jesus. And the reason I brought up the emotional thing and the reason I brought up a lot of the things that I think this is hard for us to know and it's hard for us to do it day in and day out because it's not an observation sport. We don't get to sit and watch. It's a participation sport. We join in. And so one of the things that I've learned is that following Jesus is an act of worship. Worship is much more than singing songs. One of my great pet peeves in life, and if you've known me for any period of time, is that when people say, hey, when we do worship on Sunday, can we do this song? They are not the equivalent of one another. Worship, music can be an expression of worship, but they are not one and the same. When we gather, we're worshiping. Right now, we're worshiping. When we pray, we worship. When we live and follow Jesus, we worship. What's captivated your heart is an act of worship. I, at times, find myself unapologetically and yet apologetically worshiping the Vikings because what happens is, and it's a terrible thing to worship, because it, it messes with your heart and your emotions. And it makes me say things I want back. And you can, you know, there's a little bit of a chuckle behind that. I get that. But there are times when I say things that come out of my mouth, out of the overflow of my heart, out of the overflow of my heart comes my words. And my words are such that when I say things like, oh, Aaron Rodgers 
I could pound you. The overflow of my heart is not, boy, I, I love that guy. If I could just get my hands around him. But it reveals something about me. And this is where I want to take you. I want you to just, in the moments that we have left, as you um, have opportunity to go to the stations, and you can write things down, and I'm going to ask the band to come up. If you want to write down things like that have captivated your heart and confess that, that would be great. But how do you know? And, and here's the thing. I just want to walk you through a simple slide. And, and, and this reveals something about us. It's, it, it reveals who we're following. If, if someone you're following convinces you that you should hate a whole group of people just because of the way they look, the way they um, vote, the way that they, where they live, their nationality. What you're getting is someone's captivating your heart, the overflow of your heart is revealed in how you feel about them, and you have to realign, you have to go back to Jesus. So what influences you? What offends you? What makes you angry? On the other side of that, what moves you to compassion? Following Jesus is an act of worship. And here this slide, it says, I know I'm following Jesus in a place of worship when I find myself being patient, when previously I would just be irritated. Something's changed in me. Second one is I find myself being compassionate when previously I would be indifferent. Meh. They probably deserve to get kicked out of their house because of da-da-da-da-da. Instead of being indifferent, I find myself being compassionate. I find myself extending grace when previously I would just judge. I find myself loving my enemies and serving them rather than retaliating or getting even. I find myself looking for ways to love rather than looking the other way. I find myself being a healer rather than a destroyer. And I find myself forgiving when previously I would have just held a grudge. There's just a few for me. And so how do I know? Because when my judgment comes out and when my indifference comes out and I'm following Jesus, it becomes really obvious. It's glaring. I need to shift. I need to change. And the overflow of our hearts are seen in our emotions. Our overflow of our hearts are seen in our words. Our overflow in our hearts are seen in our attitudes towards one another. And if somebody or someone or something is influencing you to depreciate other people, to steal their humanity, to somehow lessen them as humans, to easily discount them, to write them off, to be indifferent towards the plight of someone, your heart is being captivated by someone other than Jesus.
because Jesus is anything but indifferent, unkind, and not compassionate. We are children of God and followers of the suffering servant, the one who died on a cross for all the people you'll ever see. <laughs> Let's love them. Even if they are different. Even if they annoy you. Ask the question. Ask it. Why do they annoy me? Because I've been discipled by somebody other than Jesus. So let's follow Jesus. Let's do it. Ask for forgiveness when we need forgiveness. Walk with one another, even in our frailty and all that we do wrong. is the opportunity to practice what it means to follow Jesus rather than just applaud those that do it well or watch from the sidelines as we go about our lives. Let's sing as though it matters. Let's lift our voices as though the King of Kings has actually come and rose from the dead and sent his spirit. Let's love one another as though it matters, because it does. Because that's really all that does matter, is that the King won, and we're his children, and he sought after us. Let's sing. Let's sing.